I'm Euro. I'm Chris. And this is Fork Bomb. Awesome. Okay, dude, I forgot what day it was today. You know this isn't getting edited out either. <laughs> October, October 22nd. Oh, October, tw- the year of our Lord. October 22nd, 2021. Episode 34. This doesn't even have a title. <laughs> We're so unprepared. <laughs> and we have a guest. That's right. Um, our guest is from the famous YouTube channel, uh, Retro Tech Bytes. It is Will Gardner. Will, thank you for, uh, for joining the show. How are you today? Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm doing good, you know. Can't complain. Uh, it's just an average Friday, but also a special Friday, I suppose, you know? Yeah? Because we're recording, or is it special because of anything else? Uh, mostly because of recording. I suppose it's also just special because it's the October 22nd of 2021. So, you know what? That means we're almost at the end of 2021, even though it the, yeah. nobody knows what day it is anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Every day is March 2020 now. That's yes. right. Seriously. There you go. <laughs> um, this one's also different because we are physically in the same space, you and I. Same Euro. space. Not only that, but we're like kind of touching each other. <laughs> so we have a weird setup going on here. We have one mic. We have one headphone that's now like, you know, we're, we're doing the left and the right on each ear. And <laughs> we're sharing earbuds. And yeah, yeah. Got to say, we look adorable. Yeah, it's that's, that's so good. Um, I agree. So, uh, so yeah, uh, Chris Chris um, came down to, uh, to Florida to, to visit to visit me. So, uh, thanks, Chris, for doing that. I haven't seen you in a while, uh, physically anyway. So, um, usually the, the way we do these podcasts is we have this remote network of, of, of nerds running everywhere. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so we do typically do this remote, and, uh, and it's great to have you here. Good to be here. So, will you run a channel on the YouTubes called Retro Tech Bytes? You want to tell us about it? Yeah, so I, you know, it's one of these things that I guess happened on accident. Um, you know, everyone would always tell me like, oh, you know, you've, you've got this weird hobby that's like computers, old computers, new computers, whatever, mostly old computers, because that's what takes up the most space in my house. And, um, you know, they would always say, hey, why don't you share it? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm sharing it with my friends, but none of them are interested. You know, everyone kind of looks at you weird when you're like, hey, this... 25 year old computer is giving me more joy than you know my brand new shiny smartphone or something like that people don't seem to get it so you know and no, we get it we, we <laughs> totally get it yeah you know <laughs> Believe I, me. I, there's there's such an awesome community out there it's just it's about finding the right people you know and i uh i was talking to my girlfriend one day and she basically just told me like why don't you just go for it? Because I had mentioned that this was an idea that had crossed my mind here and there, but I'm not like the most, um, I'm not the most outgoing person as far as, you know, wanting to put my own brand out there, my name or, you know, my face. I mean, I certainly enjoy sharing the hobby, but like as far as self-gratification, it was never about that. And it always felt weird to me, like thinking about it. And so like after some deliberation, I talked to her and then I kind of mentioned it to my parents and they were like, why don't you do it? You've like talked about it before. And then I texted uh, my best friend, Christian, who lives up in Orlando. And I was like, what's the deal? Like, what do you think? And he said to go for it. 
And then another friend of mine, Isaac, who I've known since I was six and like, we're not even, we're basically like brothers at this point. I texted him and, um, after like laughing hysterically because I'm one of the people he tried to share this with that just didn't care about it. He was like, seriously, go for it. You know, you never know. Cause he started a podcast himself. So it kind of like after getting his affirmation, I sort of knew that this is how I wanted to do it. So it was a series of happy accidents that kind of led to the mishmash that is my channel. No, it's actually, uh, I, I really enjoy your content. And I think Chris... Likewise, you, dude. Likewise. Yeah. I think, well, Chris, you, you put it really well um, in that uh, it's almost like listening to listening to uh, Will's YouTube channel is like you're you're hanging out with him in his house or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because um, there, there, there are other um, retro tech... Um, there is more retro tech content on YouTube. And there's LGR. And LGR is LGR. It's amazing perfectly produced um it's kind of the gold standard for it then there's 8-bit guy and Mm -hmm. all those others but yours is also well produced but i think what feels what um makes it stand out is i don't feel like i'm watching a show i feel like um you invited me over to your house and you're like hey man come over i'll show you some 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 cool Retro gear, and I'm just gonna, you know, <laughs> uh, set, set some stuff up and talk about it, and yeah. Um, before um, I even get a chance to ask any questions, you're already answering it, so I never have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does feel like we're we're just like hanging out, and uh, it's nice. It, it feels nice really feeling. nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. I know that you take time, and we we actually do have questions prepared for the show. We're not totally unprepared, um, but. <laughs> But um, but some of those are you know like time that it takes for for you to create a show and things like that. But you know what? Like it it, it almost feels like we're just having a you know normal hangout session at a at a friend's house. So we just like wow, that's that's like a really cool quality that you have. And and I don't know if it's your voice or what's going on there, but but it's it's really enjoyable. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll make sure to ask some more questions about that. So don't think about it. Change nothing. Just. <laughs> Don't even change the lighting or even the camera equipment. <laughs> I <laughs> Leave won't. the Kodak out. <laughs> I will tell you this. You know, um, I really appreciate hearing that because, I mean, I've always looked at, you know, all the people I gain, engage with and all the people I talk to as, you know, friends, peers, um, you know, colleagues. I, I don't look to people as my viewers in the sense that they're just like a group of people that watch my content. I I look at them as people who like actually want to engage and ask questions or tell me things or like help me learn. And I've always taken this as an opportunity, like to engage more with the people behind this rather than like the tech itself. So I really appreciate hearing that because that was one of the biggest things. Like, you know, I don't like this idea of being another LGR because it's like you said, LGR is a gold standard, but like, you know, what's the purpose of, of, being a a copy you know you want to do your own way and like there are similarities sure and like i definitely have been inspired by his content just as much as you know by phil's computer lab 8-bit guy you know people have been in the game forever but i i I want to put my own spin on it and and a big part of it is is like i'm a very laid-back person generally and i want that to translate over to my videos And I don't mean that in the sense that I want them to be sloppy. I mean, I'm always working on improving, but at the same time, like 
I want the, the, the general focus, the general pre- presentation to be more laid back and less of a, uh, a like this very astute erudite, uh, you know, speaker presenting very esoteric knowledge to you. You know, I want somebody who can like get a point across and basically say like, hey, even if you don't understand 100% of this, like this is why it's cool. And like if you have questions, you know, or answers, like let me know, you know. But, you know, one of, one of the things that really got me going with your channel was one of your videos was that 486, uh, was that Windows XP on 486. And I, I thought you had it all figured out. And I thought I was going to just watch <laughs> it. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, Windows XP on a 486. And I figured it all out. Uh, just like most of those retro channels are. They they figured it all out. And then when, when I got to the end and you're like, hey, guys, I have I have a question. Like, I... Can you guys help me out? <laughs> I want to figure this out. And now I got involved. You know, like the other channels, um, they already resolve it for you, and they tell you this is what we did. This is what we did to resolve the issue. With your problem, I felt like I don't know. Like you, you struck a chord, and then and then I felt like okay, now I'm involved. Like I need to help this guy out because I've heard him already. I've I've listened to the whole. Uh, I've watched the whole YouTube thing, and and I want to know what it takes to get uh, Windows XP going on a 486. So you pose that question out there, and I haven't seen a lot of channels actually have an issue where now the content creator is asking, you know, everybody else for assistance, for help. And so I felt engaged at that point. And then I'm like, well, what else has he done? And then I landed on your Cyrix uh, retrospective, which I thought was mm-hmm. excellent. I had watched a... A Cyrix video from Nostalgic uh, Nerd? Nostalgia Nerd. Nostalgia Nerd. And it was good. Uh, I didn't know that Quake was the reason why Cyrix pretty much fell uh, and everything. But then I watched yours and, and everything just, just kind of made sense and clicked. His video's good, but your video just had, it looks like more content and more things related to 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 the issue and, and why it happened and things like that. So... You know, after watching your XP issue and then after watching your retrospective on Cyrix, I was hooked. I'm like, wow, I need to, I need, I, I want to watch more of this, of this guy and, and, uh, and, and, you know, all his, all his technology, uh, either challenges or just things you want to show. And, you know, that kind of brought us to contact you <laughs> and ask if you want to be on the show because, because you're, you're right up our alley. This is, this is exactly, uh, what we like to talk about. <clears throat> Um, I don't okay. know. We have a series of questions if you want to. <laughs> I did want to add, I'm kind of jealous. I don't have a uh, sunny pool that I can use to. Yeah, uh, man. What's that, what's that pool assemble, about? Uh, <laughs> assemble builds next to. Well, like the, no one else does that. <laughs> full disclosure, you know, uh, it is. Uh, I am living at my parents' house right now because of the situation with COVID. So I can't take credit for the pool. But <laughs> ownership rights aside, um, you know, I, I think that everyone always does these builds indoors and it gives off this idea that we're all a bunch of like cave dwellers. Right. And I've never understood that. <laughs> you know what? Screw that. You should always do your builds next to the pool. Like outside. <laughs> it should be your trademark thing. Oh, it's the pool guy. That just happens to also build 486s. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Let's do it. <laughs> I haven't seen too many people do stuff outside. So, yeah, the computer and the stuff. It's always inside, either in a stage somewhere or uh, or in the room. But but you're just full blown out there, 
and you don't don't have to spend a ton on lighting (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) yeah i mean and i occasionally get the the planes going overhead that get to annoy me so instead of a lawnmower i get at least i can like look out and be like oh yes it's it's another plane going to boca airport um you know i i occasionally get the woodpeckers showing up and ruining like 30 seconds of good footage (laughs) you know all all the stuff (laughs) what 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 kind of mic do you use? Um, I use a couple. Uh, I have a not-so-great lapel mic that I use for recording. And then for actual, like, regular stuff, I use a Blue Yeti because it was the first thing I could find that made sense. Um, eventually, I'll probably change some things out. I'm pretty happy with the, the Yeti. Um but as far as the lapel mic, I'm probably going to have to switch that. I'm, I'm probably at some point going to change over my camera and recording technique as well. But for now, it's functional. So I, I can't really complain about that. Uh, what kind of camera then? Well, that's, uh, that's kind of my trade secret. I actually don't have a dedicated camera. I'm using my phone, which is really surprising in some regards and not in others. Um you can notice it when I have larger scenes because there's less focus on certain individual objects, but I have an iPhone 12 Pro and I actually got the phone with the intention that if I went through with the YouTube thing, I'd at least have like a fully functional feature rich camera that would get me through till I was able to, you know, start making a few bucks and roll that into a real camera. Um, you know, I know some creators kind of look down on that, but I would rather put whatever money I'm spending, which thankfully hasn't been much, on on like the actual tech itself. Most of the stuff I've had, I've just had for years or been given or whatever. But um, you know, I, as far as like the actual cost of the channel, I, I intend to keep it lower uh, at the moment, at least. But you know, I I I hope the production quality's been okay. I mean, you know, I've tried some post processing, and I do want to improve on that. Um, and I mean, I. I do what I can in editing, but it's, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but it's kind of, I guess, mine. So I'm okay with it for now. So, I, well, um, I think that um, Nathan from Pixel Pipes, I think he also uses a phone. I think he might use an LG phone. Yeah, he might have switched now, but I believe there was a an episode where he discusses um, his camera and everything and how he's been using, I think he might use like two LG phones uh, on different tripods. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's not bad. And you have an iPhone uh, 12, which has an excellent camera as well. Um, I guess eventually if you ever wanted to upgrade, um, you know, you could try, uh, I don't know, man, maybe like a Nikon D, 2x or something i'm not sure but um you know for right now the videos look fine well thanks i think it looks fine i can't tell the difference you know yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear it i know you know nathan when he uh made that video addressing like how he does his recordings it brought some comfort i will say um the problem is with cameras i've like i'm more of an analog camera guy which i guess makes sense because i'm more of an analog tech guy with a lot of things but um i have like for example a Kodak Reflex uh, or Kodak Retina Reflex S and a Kodak 3C and um, I've done some like basic stuff with them. Uh, I'd like to learn how to develop film. I'm, I know how to do it in theory but I've never really had the opportunity to set up a dark room and do it. But like things like that 
I'm okay with. But, you know, when it comes to these, like, you know, uh, like the 2X camera you mentioned and all that, like, I it's so beyond me like i i've i've talked to a few other friends who are creators and asked for some advice and you know i i've got like a list of like potential cameras and then um i find myself googling the price of some of these things and just going oof and uh kind of brushing it aside and figuring i'll figure it out your million subs you know I'll just tell YouTube, hey guys, instead of a uh, instead of the, uh, the the play button, just send me a camera, please. <laughs> there you go. That's what they should do. Yeah, that would yeah. honestly be awesome. We need to sign a petition. <laughs> Change that to work. That's right. Um, let me see. I'm trying to reach over here. Um, all right, I have a question for you, Will. What was the first computer you remember fondly? Ooh. Okay. So. Um, there's really two, if that's okay, because they're they're kind of uh, they kind of coincide in time. The first of those is the desktop my parents had when I was young, and had we had it for a long time actually. We had a Packard Bell. It was like a lower end multimedia model, but it had a DX two sixty six. It was a tower, um, and it wasn't in the typical like Packard Bell white and gray beigey form factor it had it was more of a beige case with like a brown door on the front there's some out there i, I forget what the actual model is but it's like a multimedia legend or something 70t or i love to find it but I, we had that from before i was born through till almost past 2000 probably 2001 too we were like late and most of that was because we didn't really need um a desktop at the time my parents had had a uh, a laptop that my dad used for work which actually i still have that laptop and that was that's the other computer and that was a toshiba satellite it's like a it was a uh, like a mid 1998 model i don't exactly know the model number offhand but it was one of the cdt models and i just remember being like enamored as a kid because it had a DVD drive. It had a floppy, you know, floppy disk built in. It had like a crazy long battery life for the time. I think a 4.3 or a 5.4 gig hard drive, which is nuts, and a Pentium 3650. And um, I used it actually for a long time afterward. Like that was that became my computer after my dad uh, got a new computer for work, probably around like 2001, 2002. And I had that thing till probably like 2006, 2007, really. And, um, you know, if I had to type anything for school or whatever, I'd do it on there. But, um, you know, I, it, it's kind of interesting because for someone who always liked tech and like enjoys messing with what's now like deemed retro tech, I mean, I guess I was kind of behind on the curve for a long time. And I mean, heck, I didn't build a computer till like the X58 era. I mean... I just, I never really had a need for it. And granted, I mean, I am on the younger side, but I'm not like young, young. So at the same time, I, I guess I just kind of grew accustomed to doing, you know, like schoolwork and whatever on, you know, Word 97 or 2000 and living with it. And nobody ever complained any different. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think Chris, uh, we, we discussed in one of the previous podcasts how you had a Packard Bell as well, right? It was one of those pizza boxes. Yeah. Um, also a DX266. Ah. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was going to ask, um, you do seem a little on the, the, um, 
younger side, so I'm guessing that um, by the time you were of age to where you could use computers, um, the um, the the mid '90s uh, line of computers seems like it was a little before your time. If that is the case, um, how did you really get into them, and how did you gain such a depth of knowledge about them? Because hardware side um um you go way further into detail than i ever considered going you're you're talking about ram dacs and all kinds of other stuff and i'm just sitting there like okay hang on what is that googling this googling that googling that (laughs) so um i guess part of it can be attributed to being behind the curve you know as as a young kid on our TX-266, we had uh windows 95 which i mean i guess was just commonplace now that's like a sin apparently in the retro community because nobody does that anymore. But no, I mean, you know, I, I got used to doing things in uh, a DOS prompt for a long time because both of my parents, when they were working in the, you know, mid 80s, they really were around the, uh, the, the like first generation of having computers in the workplace. And, you know, they both had to learn how to use like PC DOS and whatnot. So they were knowledgeable and, you know, passed on a lot of knowledge to me and my knowledge was basic, but like functional enough to get things done. And I always just found computers like very intuitive. Like I, I never really had to think to figure out how to do something. It just, you know, it was sort of like that, that Steve Jobs type uh, UI human interfacing where everything just makes sense and is intuitive. I guess that's just how it worked for me, even with clunky things like 95. But um, when it really started was probably when I was, mm, I'd say like end of middle school, beginning of high school, a family friend was like, he had a bunch of retired computers, series of HP Vectras and things that he had been accumulating over time. And around the time I had first found Vogons and like I was lurking a lot of posts and saw people going nuts about, you know, these old Packard bells. I'm like, Hey, that's my computer. You know, like when you see that, you're like, wait a minute, that's not old. That's what I had like two years ago. But you know, you're like sitting there. And then around that time I built my first computer and started getting more into the modern side. So I wanted to kind of look back because it, you know, triggered like these memories and the sense of nostalgia for like what I had had, which ironically wasn't that long before, but um, you know, I, I guess I kind of just like was able to get some stuff from him. And like, I, I remember I still have some of the computers. Um, I have like a couple of HP Vectras. I have a, uh, well, right now it's just the case, but my AT uh, full tower, I think I showed it once that has, that used to have his Pentium 166 in it. I have the board. I, I actually repaired part of the board, but um you know, I, I always had kind of an interest in electronics and whatnot, and it just kind of all fell into place. And then I moved away from it for a little while, and I, I, I'm not really sure why, but there was a short while in college that I had considered going down this path, but didn't, but I kind of knew I wanted to, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then I ended up um, studying something completely separate, going to law school, and now I am a licensed attorney, but I'm currently taking electrical engineering classes so I can take the patent bar. And, you know, like kind of everything that I that I was interested in at like these various moments is just sort of like converging right now. 
And I think that it's a little bit of everything, you know, it's a little bit of the fact that I was like as a kid growing up with this and then as an adult, like looking back on what I used to have as well as like the, hey, I want to get in the building computer thing. And then like saying, hey, I want to build an old computer because I used to have old computers and, you know, kind of putting it together. Nice. Yeah, you really go in depth with your videos on on the details of um, of what what each processor does or has, um, especially on the what is it? The, what's the magic word? VLB. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the VL, VLB. <laughs> you know, I, I'm gonna start a drinking game on uh, on uh, Will. If Will's gonna say VLB on this episode. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You you definitely go into into a, a lot a lot of detail, which is great um, because I'm sure there's a lot of people. Uh, that want to learn, including us. So, uh, you know, thank you for that, for, for providing all, all those, you know, details and telling it like a story. That's important too. Um, keeping it, you know, not dry and, uh, and you do a good job at it. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank you. I had no idea that, um, electrical engineering would be a prerequisite for getting into patent law. Yeah. That's kind of a weird one, but um, in order to sit for the patent bar, which you can take as a non-attorney, but then you become a patent agent instead, and, and you can't practice law, obviously, but you can still be involved in the prosecution of patents. Um, in order to, to sit for it, you have to have either a technical degree, and it's one of like a certain category or a certain number of hours of technical classes taken. And I was like close-ish on the hours because of my flip-flopping between like science and humanities but at the end of the day i just decided to like sit and do the entire um electrical engineering degree because i don't need to retake like the the basic credits and whatnot and so i'm basically just sitting for engineering classes and the difference is like taking 10 classes instead of 12 i believe so if i take the extra two i get the other ba uh, bs which okay but um, yeah, for some reason, the, the licensing authority for the patent bar is, is like very stringent on who can sit for the exam. And I think there's even like a semi controversy over, uh, whether certain computer science programs are actually like count for the accreditation, which is nuts. Wow. Um, do you plan on doing anything, uh, with those degrees afterwards? You know, um, Kind of, kind of an interesting uh, question because I haven't thought that far ahead. <laughs> I guess I, I'm not one of these people who plans far ahead. Um, I do want to practice patent law for sure. Um, I do want to get into somehow semiconductor related businesses. Um, my aunt and uncle were, well, they're in California. They, my uncle's from California. My aunt's not. Um, she's from the Midwest, but. They've both worked in Silicon Valley their entire lives, and I went to college at UC Berkeley, so I was exposed to, you know, a great deal of the Silicon Valley influence. And as much as I enjoyed California, I mean, there's reasons to live there and reasons not to, but I wouldn't be opposed to working for a law firm that, you know, was either there or, like, connected to the Valley in some way, um, you know, or, or doing something, you know, in-house, like, one of the bigger tech companies, even, even software side would be interesting. I mean, like the whole Google versus Oracle thing that just happened with like, can you copyright an API? That was pretty cool. Um, and like, you know, having been trained in the legal side of it, like I, I find the law part of it interesting, but I've never, 
I've never enjoyed the law as much as I have the other stuff. And if I can like help people get their ideas out there, that's what I would like to do most. You know, when you see what these people are inventing and coming up with for cutting edge things and, you know, you, you see somebody come to you and say like, Hey, I have this idea. Like, where do I go with it? And then you say, okay, here's the process. Here's how we can get you out there. Here's, you know, people we can get you in touch with. And, you know, this is like the pre-venture capital, pre-shark tank phase. And to me, that's the most fascinating part because that's where the ideas are really born. And that's what I love to see. Very cool. I was going to suggest America's Got Talent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, um, I'm sure you've been asked this before, how much exposure did you get to BSD at Berkeley? Um, so actually not as much as you would think. It's interesting because the engineering culture at Berkeley is very strange. I started in the College of Chemistry because I wanted to become essentially what my uncle was, which was a semiconductor design engineer. Um, And, you know, that's not even really the title he deserves because he did so much more. And I mean, he has 20 plus patents and whatnot. And, you know, I wanted to do what he did, but a little bit differently. And I wanted to you know, focus on like, uh, just hardware design in general. I, I've always found hardware more interesting for some reason, which, you know, right now it seems people like the more digital side of things and the more I'm going to make ones and zeros do stuff and program. So, you know, there's this, there's a separate college there, um, electrical engineering and computer science, uh, EECS as we called it there. Um, as you can imagine, there were plenty of geek jokes and whatnot, but hmm. I, I do remember, you know, a lot of my friends were in it and I obviously had some exposure to it being in the, the College of Chemistry, which was across the way, but also just another science college there. And, um, you know, I knew it wasn't for me for the culture, but like as far as the actual exposure to things, it wasn't as uh, developed as I thought it would be. It's, it's very strange. You know, there's a lot of history at Berkeley when you're there, you know, there's the old ARPANET nodes and things. There's, you know, Glenn T. Seaborg's lab. There's the places where the atomic bomb was built. There's, you know, Nobel laureates walking around, Nobel laureate parking, Nobel this, Nobel that, you know, all sorts of Nobels. And I kept wondering what they did with all the bells, but that's another story um, and a lame joke. But <laughs> what what I really found fascinating was, you know, you would think like BSD was one of these things that's sort of a hallmark, but at the same time, like people don't associate it right away with Berkeley unless you know the acronym. And I always thought going there, like I would see some of this stuff, but I never really did because a lot of what's happening is in closed doors. You know, it's in the labs, it's, it's at the, the research parts of the research university. And it's sort of unfortunate because if you want to be in that, you really have to be in like that EECS program and doing those specialized things. You can't just cross over as somebody who's like, Hey, I want to get into this. They expect you to, you know, get into it head first and start it there. So, you know, at that point, I had, like, talked about trying to get into it and things didn't work out for various reasons. And, you know, I decided to go another way with it. But I, I found it interesting and somewhat disturbing because, you know, the average person who wants to do something computer related when they go to a college, like how many people, you know, apply to college and know what they want to do? None. You know, I, I've never understood why they expect people to be able to uh, articulate reasons why they want to you know, be a part of, you know, BSD development or, you know, the open computing facility or work for Lawrence Berkeley or Lawrence Livermore. Like, I, I've always thought that, you know, the whole idea was that they wanted to promote this, you know, collegiate atmosphere of free thought, but it never really worked like that. And, you know, 
not saying that to bash Berkeley. It's just unfortunately, like certain things didn't work in the way I anticipated. Fair enough. I um, I'm actually a little bit jealous of you uh, having attended Berkeley. Um, <laughs> the I think the the most exposure that I got to Berkeley was that movie Pirates of Silicon Valley where they showed uh, where they showed what the riot police and, <laughs> and and Steve Jobs and Wozniak running from one part of the quad to the other <laughs> uh, well you've um, squashed my fantasy that they uh, give you a standard issue standard issue IBM ThinkPad running FreeBSD and CWM as the desktop or um, not, not, not CWM um, CDE common desktop environment <laughs> hmm. you know honestly as bad as it sounds i kind of went in thinking along those lines because you know you, you hear berkeley you think ah this is where gordon moore went this is where you know steve wozniak went this is where you know three quarters of the, the the pirates of silicon valley went and and you know the people from fairchild to Schottky to intel to amd i mean everyone went there either that or they went to stanford but boost stanford um and you know i i always thought there'd be a richer atmosphere around that but i think because berkeley is so, so diverse intellectually um a lot of that gets diluted into like the individual colleges and that's not a bad thing per se i think that's just means that uh you have to have more of an anticipation of what you wish to study and um you know had i known that going in maybe it would have turned out different but i can't complain either way i mean i'm thrilled to have gone there and thrilled to have got the experience i did and truthfully the fact that I can like lay claim to having gone to the school that was, you know, instrumental in developing BSD is kind of cool, even though I don't use BSD. <laughs> and wear the t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, frankly, this is my like one Berkeley t-shirt because they charge too much for these things. <laughs> All right. Um, do you want to go? Oh, oh sure. Okay. Sure. Um, oh. If um, I guess getting back to the... Um Back to your channel. Um, curious how um, how long and how much effort does a single single episode take? You know, it depends. If I'm working on um, one of my more like structured videos, uh, it can take a while. I do a lot of research. Um, I really treat everything like a project that I'm assigning myself. You know, I'll go through old documents and things. I'll go through. At one point, I was going through like actual case law for certain things I was looking into, you know, I was, I was going into, uh, all sorts of, you know, periodicals, everything. Cause you know, I, in undergrad, I actually graduated with a degree in history. So like research was what I lived and breathed and I really studied foreign policy, but you know, regardless, like you have to learn how to research something and articulate a point. And I've never been good at getting things across in like one sentence, but at the same time, I've always loved like the process of figuring it out. So I'll probably take like two or three days for the research. And then once I'm satisfied with that, then I'll usually start the recording. Um, right now I do more of direct capture stuff. I would eventually like to start filming and doing it more like the LGR type way of immersing yourself in the environment. But I think either way is okay. I'd like to just get a mix of both. Um, but that usually takes maybe a day or two and then I clean it up a little bit, start getting it together. And then I do the audio recording. And if I haven't done the capture, I'll do that first. Usually the capture is the part where I have the least amount of problems or the most amount of problems because 
that's where everything can either just go right or wrong. You know, I want to show something off and I have to make sure it's working. But at the same time, like, I don't want to be one of these people who's literally just running through like a, a pre-written thing. Like I want to be exploring it too at the same time. So, you know, like in that Windows XP video I did that you were talking about, you know, I ran into problems left and right. And there were some I even cut out. But like, the fact is, I, I didn't want it to be like, oh, hey, by the way, this is looking back on it. I wanted it to be there in the moment and say, like, here's what went wrong, like, as I was doing it. Because I, I've never been one of these people who believes in like the whole, let's take a look back and like, see, you know, it, it feels kind of cheesy to have it pre-written and scripted. I'd, I'd rather it roll more naturally. So it takes me a little longer and that's why my schedule is kind of inconsistent. And I've been talking about doing like one week structured video, one week not structured video. And like this week would have been the not structured video, but I'm just going to count this. And like, I'm more than happy to, you know, not be doing one anyway, because I am just wiped after a long week. But like, at the same time, I will tell you, like, I, I already know what my next project's going to be. I know the research that's going to have to go into it. And sometimes, like, what I'll do is, even if it's on the weekend before I, like, technically start, I'll find everything there. I'll start screenshotting things. I'll start Googling things, bookmarking links. And, um, you know, I'll work, like, an hour at a time at random blocks. But I work when I can. And usually that's, like, a couple days for, like, not all the way through, but, like, good part of the day. And then, you know, kind of flushing the rest in as I get time. Um the least amount of time probably is going to be voice recording because most of that's going to either be done with the filming or the capture. Right. Okay. Um, are you going uh, whole hog and doing retro tech bites as your full-time job or are you doing it in between uh, day job or day jobs? Um, so right now I'm a full-time student. Um, I am working part-time with my dad's law firm, um, not doing stuff related to tech, uh, doing much more dry and non-techy stuff. But um, I am busy outside of this and I consider this more of a hobby at the moment. But if it were to take off, I would seriously consider like taking it on as maybe a part-time job. I don't want it to ever become full-time because, you know, the second that you start doing this as a job, it's yeah, not the not same. Fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how like Clint does it or David from, you know, uh, from a the 8-Bit guy or like, I, I don't even know how like Phil does it. And his channel is like not nearly as large as theirs, you know, these are people who have been in the game a lot longer, but at the same time, every video they have has like that same sense of enthusiasm. And I don't know how, how you can do that. Cause I personally, like if I'm doing this, even if I'm recording one video and it takes me too long, I get bored or I get tired of it or I get frustrated. I actually had to scrap a project because I just couldn't get what I was trying to work on going. And uh, like, I have not touched that piece of hardware since because I was just so frustrated. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. Every single time Clint smells uh, <laughs> 90s air, he gets the same sense of uh, euphoria every single time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then he starts talking like Duke, and, and then, yeah, man, then full, no <laughs> full nostalgia mode. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I, you know, and it, it's it's funny that how people influence others to do stuff. I've been influenced big time by, by retro uh, enthusiasts such as yourself, people that put stuff out there on YouTube. Um, so, I, I didn't really even go to Goodwill before, and then I saw Clint starting his Goodwill finds and all that stuff, and I'm like, Wow, he's finding all this stuff. Let me, you know, 
go to Goodwill and see what I can find. And then I find old toasters and yeah. stuff like that, you know, <laughs> like literally, thing. you know, coffee makers and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's true. I, I do get influenced by that. So, uh, by you creating a video on a DX2 just makes me really want a DX2. You know what I mean? Like after that video, I'm out there on eBay wanting to buy a DX2 right away. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, it, it, it does influence and, and it's, um, I understand that, you know, it becoming a job, then it, then it's not as fun. Um, I don't know what that magic sauce is to, to keep it, you know, not, not just fresh, but also to keep it engaging. Um, but I don't know, maybe that's one of those things you'll find out later. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure at some point you'll get there, uh, and that you'll have a, a large base and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows, who knows, who knows what could happen. All I know is that your channel has been growing since, uh, since, uh, the, the short amount of time that I've known you. So, uh, who knows, man, you could, uh, you could have something for sure. Uh, my dream has been, I've always wanted to create a show like the, uh, like the screensavers. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. many people know that show. Uh, but I used to watch it, uh, when I was younger on, uh, first when it was on ZD TV, then on tech TV. And then what eventually became G4. And I guess G4 is coming back next month, which is really interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I actually went to the show. I actually was on Screensaver in California. And uh, and I saw Martin Sargent. And I also saw uh, Adam Sessler and all those guys. Um, that's been my dream. And then, I, I don't know, It's it's been it, it's been like almost 20 years since I, since I saw that, since I was on the show. And, uh, and it's like I haven't done it yet. So I feel like, man, I feel like if you have that opportunity, definitely go for it. Um, maybe who knows? I mean, maybe if you do it, I'll I'll start my screensavers program somehow. <laughs> I'll, I'll rent a warehouse, and we're gonna have to just do it, Chris. <laughs> you know, you know what's you know what's interesting is, so Chris and I will be working, right? But we'll still be chatting with each other while we're working. And the fun stuff is when we start working on retro stuff. Like, like yeah. we'll actually be working, working. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we're productive and everything. We're productive members. Um, but as soon as Chris is like, Hey, man, I got this, I got the, the, I don't know, the boxer build working on, on the G4 or, you know, <laughs> something that, something that, uh, that we're working on. Um, you know, I get all excited and then I want to jump on, on my G4 and, and or my G5 and, and, and check it out as well. Or somebody on the community forums, posts on, hey, can somebody test the latest build of uh, Leopard Sorbet, which is a new version of uh, Leopard coming out that, you know, it's just it's just amazing retro tech stuff that people are doing. Um, I get all into it and then I realize, dude, this is, this is what I love. This is my passion. You know, it's like, yes, work is work. It helps pay the bills and everything. But when somebody sure. mentions retro whatever or just something that I really enjoy, I light up. And this is exactly what I want to work on right now. <laughs> yeah, so definitely hear you on the on the not getting boring part or anything. It, it should never get boring. Yeah. <clears throat> I could do the job that I'm paid to do. <laughs> or I could try to figure out how to patch the dynamic recompiler for the... Yep. That one uh, Boxer project, in, or DOSBox project into Boxer. <laughs> That's only going to help out like 10 people on Earth, you know? <laughs> but, but damn it, <laughs> we got to get it done. I've Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to start setting timers. Like, uh, okay, 45 minutes, I work. When that turns off, 10 minutes, 
I play. 45 minutes back to work. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? Playing is – it's interesting that you mentioned the word play because a lot of people would say, oh, man, I'm going to go play a game or something. To me, this is that game. This yes. is the game. Something that's broken, something that needs to be figured out, uh, something that needs to be researched. This is it. Something, yes. something that has the end goal of, man, we want to deliver this. Uh, or I didn't know this before and now I know all this stuff. Like, this is the game. I I would rather do this than actually sit down and play the game. I want to fix it. I want to I want to figure it out. This is it, you know. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's interesting that, we, that we're talking about this because the other day I was talking to Chris um, and remember when I mentioned to you, I was like, man, uh, sorry, I, I know we were supposed to play a game and stuff and, you know, like network and all that, uh, you know, playing a video game together uh, online. And, uh, and it turns out, you know, remember Chris, you were like, no, man, are you, are you kidding me? Like, I love this stuff. And it's basically just fixing something that was broken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, man, I'm sorry to keep just bringing this, bringing different things up that are broken and, you know, like we need to fix it. And, and you're like, man, are you kidding? Like, this is, this is what I live for. Like almost, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, definitely cool. Um, okay. Enough. Enough easy questions. Now, now for the uh, hard, hard-hitting journalism. Um, Deep dish or okay, <laughs> <laughs> Chicago style or Brook. Okay, anyway, How- <laughs> boxers or briefs. Favorite toothpaste. Uh, <laughs> How many VLB devices do you have, and what kind? Okay, um, let's see. So I have. Let's see. I have three. VLB controller cards, one of which is a caching IDE controller. One's enhanced IDE and one is just like a standard whatever you want to call it with Made in China printed on it. So that should give you the idea. Um, And then as far as VLB graphics cards go, I have a number of them. Um, I have a Trident 9440, which is actually not a crap card. It's one of the fastest VLB cards, surprisingly. I have an ARC 1000, which was my first one. Um, I had no idea what it was when I bought it. And uh, I mean, I knew it was a VLB card, but I didn't realize the ARC 1000 is like the fastest card in DOS, period. Um, that was kind of a find. Uh, I have an S3864, which is just a trio, basically, without the integrated RAM DAC. So it's it's all the components are separated and the signal quality is better. Um, I've got... You know, I've got a bunch of, like, other not really important ones. Like, I have a basic Sirius thing, and uh, I have a, I have a Sang ET4000. Um, I mean, I know people call those the gold standard, but whatever. But my favorites are actually ATIs. I don't know why. I just love ATI cards. I have a Mach 32 with the full, like, 2 megs of VRAM and everything. And it's got, like, the, the brownish PCB and... It's really cool because you can set it in DOS to do monochrome and amber, which is awesome. Yeah. And then I actually have, which um, I haven't really shared, like shared, shared, but like, Uh you know what? Uh Oh, yeah. I have a unopened ATI Mach 64 VLB brand new. Yeah. It will be opened and it will be used. And I know like that's controversial, but the thing was built to be used and like, I'm going to preserve it, but. You know, someone needs, like, the original discs, too, you know? And, like, I would rather image everything and, like, properly document it, scan the manuals, you know, do it right, than, like, just let it sit in a box not doing anything. But actually, that's not going to go into a 486, so. 
that's going to be interesting. That that must have been quite a find. Congrats on on getting that. Thanks. Yeah, that was that was like my last actual find, and the only way I found it was I was looking for a PCI Mach sixty four, which I coincidentally did not buy, and this was mislisted. The guy just like had it listed on eBay as ATI Mach sixty four new inbox, and I look at the sticker and it says two megabyte Visa local bus, and I'm like, well, that it VLB, you know, that's that's become the 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 semi meme marker of my channel that everything is VLB <laughs> and you guys laugh, but like there is one VLB device I want and, and they're not easy to come by, but I want it because I know it sucks and I just want to see how bad it sucks. And that is a <laughs> VLB ethernet card. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, why does it suck? I mean, so, all right, I, I'm ignorant. Um, especially when it comes to, I'm, I'm ignorant when it comes to the stuff. I, I don't know. Uh, the uh, other than the other than the bandwidth um, uh, improvements that VLB brings, uh, you know, I, I'm not really sure what you know a whole lot about VLB. I don't know when VLB came out. I don't know if 286 motherboards had VLB. I believe they started with 386, but like I said, I don't know. So maybe you can educate well, it was me with that. 486 only, wasn't it? So uh, well, we got the VLB man right here. It, so. it, it's weird. VLB is technically designed for. The 486 because the VLB bus, it basically sits on like the CPU bus. Like it talks directly to the 486. It's not like PCI where there's all sorts of controllers and chips and things that interface in between. VLB is usually a direct link. And I say usually because VLB can be implemented as what I like to refer to as basically a chipset feature. And that means it can be translated to other platforms. So I have, for example, an IBM 486SLC board. And the SLC is just a uh, 386SX that's been like hopped up and set on fire. And it's like a cut down version of the blue lightning chip I have. It's 16-bit external instead of 32, but it's a 32-bit chip internally. So it's very similar to the 386SX, but it has cache and it's, it's fast. It's clock doubled and whatnot, but it has VLB. And the way they do that is they're able to do it through the chipset. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how. I, I read some data sheets and kind of understand there's like hacky workarounds, uh, the most famous of which would be the Pentium boards that have VLB. And I have two of those. And I will tell you the performance sucks, but it's 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 not horrible. It's just, it's not good. And that's because like Chris said, and it's true, VLB really is a 486 feature. It, it was intended for 486s and it works for 486s. But the OB came out probably around 90, 91. I think the final spec was like released sometime around 89, 90, 91, sometime around there or in and around the 486's release. The big thing with VLB though is, and a lot of people don't realize this, the bandwidth rating is like 33 mega, megahertz. It's supposed to give you like 133 megabytes a second, supposedly. You're probably going to get about 40 or 50 because of overhead and and weight states and you know dma issues and things because like the isa bus that it's based on is really it's it's a great bus but it's like screwy it's 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 screwy in that the implementations of certain parts of it like dma um which would allow like direct access between uh peripherals isn't really like fundamentally sound in isa for some reason it, it's got issues on certain boards and things so vlb you can think of as like a dumb extension to ISA. And you compare that to ESA, the extended ISA boards, and like those are very, very smart. 
ESA can run at like the same eight megahertz. It's 32 bit. And like, it's only rated only for 33 megabytes a second at that speed. But what you're actually getting is you're getting a much wider bus and you can overclock it to about 10 megahertz stable. And it it's fairly competitive with like a micro channel and the other things, but that is more modern. And like that, everything's software configured. It's like super, super modern. VLB is dumb. It is dumb fast. And like, if you put a, if you put a, um, a, like an S3 968, for example, which is considered like one of the fastest VLB cards you can get in as your graphics card and you overclock the, the front side bus to 40 megahertz, you're going to be running the card with a theoretical throughput of like 160 megabytes a second, which is technically rated higher than PCI. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's issues, signal integrity, noise, whatnot, but like it's, it's fundamentally pretty sound. And that's what I like about it. That's cool. Cause it's, it's, it's very compatible in that sense, but it's also like very limited because the reason you see maybe two or three VLB slots at most is Three is technically the spec for VLB 2.0, three at 33 megahertz, two at 40 or one at 50. Now you can really run more than one device at 50 megahertz. It's it's going to be a pain in the ass. I do not recommend it and no, but the reason that cards like that VLB land card suck are ISA is like your gold standard for stability. You know, you put an ISA sound card in, it's gonna work. You put an ISA video card in, it's gonna work. ISA just works. VLB is like very, it's it's twitchy almost, you know, like you, you don't put a weight state on, right? Oh no, you know, you don't, you don't get, you don't have like the, the proper timing set, you know, oh no, you're gonna get like crappy video signal or slow performance or whatnot. And, and ISA just doesn't have that partially because it's, a slower bus and partially just because it's truthfully, I personally believe it's a better design, but ISA could support 10, 100 network cards. And, and even though the bus throughput's obviously not going to get you a hundred megabytes a second, like that's insane, y- you know, even though megabits, whatever it, it it's going to get you, you know, like a couple megabytes or whatever. It, 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 there is a noticeable difference between a 10, 100 and a 10, uh, a 10 base T like ISA card. But on VLB, they only released like two cards. They all use the AMD PCNet chip and they're a 10 base T card. That's it. Which you're already probably like, why are they putting this on a faster bus? With- yeah, why? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. just thinking. It was an afterthought. And that's the problem. ESA can actually support 10100 just fine. And like ESA is such a wide bus and, and the way it handles DMA and bus mastering and things, it's great. That's one of the things I probably should have mentioned, but IS, um, VLB bus mastering is like broken, basically. Like VLB is weird because if you have a VLB SCSI card, which like I can't say I've personally messed with, but like I've read a lot about because obviously they're interesting, but like they're not that special compared to like an EISA one or something. They're, the problem you run into is certain SCSI cards on VLB will actually like interfere with certain things and and conflict if you have your cpu and right back cache for its level one cache like if it's running in right back mode because of god knows what sorts of bugs in the bus mastering and things it causes all sorts of performance and stability issues and it's all because of right back cache which yeah you can just set it to right through and avoid this but i think one of the adaptive cards actually had a jumper on it that was like use this if you're using this cpu because that's how like twitchy and unstable it is i mean Honestly, that's kind of why I love VLB because like 
VLB is a lot of, it's an art craft to get it going. You know, you, you, you don't just like stick a card in and stop thinking about it there. You have to like, you have to configure the timings, you have to configure the bus. And, you know, there's this, this common misconception that like a lot of VLB cards are, um, good or not good or whatever. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think that, yeah, there's certain cards that can't do 50 megahertz, let's say, but like, not everyone's going to be doing that. You know, you're not going to be running a 50 megahertz FSB on a 46 unless you're, you know, Intel in 1990 and you're crazy. You know, people who are playing it conservative and just want to build like a retro computer can stick whatever in and it's fine. But like, at the same time, I'm personally not one of these people who's interested in like Cirrus Logic uh, 5420 series cards because they're actually just basically ISA cards that run at the higher local bus frequency. They're limited to a 16-bit interface, which actually, this sounds dumb, but VLB can do 16-bit addressing. It's natively built into the standard. And I don't know exactly why that was. I mean, I imagine probably compatibility, but like... Compatibility. It, yeah. It's like, great, you're running ISA at 33 megahertz. That's that's not going to get you much farther, you know? Like, mm-hmm. y- you want to take advantage of the, the more insane devices. And... I think it's right. freaking awesome that like there are people out there building. Um, there's actually a thread on Bogons. There's like some guy building an S3 Verge for VLB. That's insane. Building wow. it, building it. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. Huh. So if I was to summarize that, <laughs> um, the fascination with it is because one, you always deal with ISA and PCI, so VLB is a bit more. Um, it's, it's, it's unique. It, it's a bit of the uh, road less traveled. Yes. Um, it's kind of an, a bolt on to ISA rather than um, being designed with it in mind. And it's kind of an, a weird in between state between ISA and PCI. Yes. Um, it is a dumb addition in that um, it's just dumb and fast and so you have to deal with a lot of the configuration yourself yes so there's a lot more margin of error um if you run a foul of that margin of error your device can suck if you uh know what you're doing then you can have a truly special device absolutely uh, a well-configured vlb 46 is gonna run circles around like the most basic of 480 uh 46 pci builds um you know, PCI 486s are, are nice, but like, uh, and frankly, they tend to be faster, but I genuinely believe, and everything I've read is that if you get a 486 VLB system up and running, like, like it was intended by nature, <laughs> um, you know, you're going to have one really special fast system. Um, you get a PCI one, you know, it's going to be compatible and easy to work with, but you may lose certain features or speed or, you know, other things. Got Very it. Cool. Thanks yeah. for explaining all that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now I have a bit more of uh, a, a fascination with it. I am VLB enlightened. <laughs> I hope that made sense. You know. Does does PCMU emulate any VLB devices? I don't believe so. Um, I'm pretty sure that it sticks to ISA and PCI. Um, there might be attempts to do so, but I don't see why anyone would. Um, Truthfully, it would probably turn out kind of like those Opti uh, Pentium VLB boards did. Um, they 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 made no sense in that like the way they got it working was they took the VLB bus, which is 32-bit. They gave the Pentium 64-bit memory access, 64-bit cache 
access, okay. But they stuck it on the VLB bus, which, whatever, I mean, I guess you could argue, like, yeah, the Pentium's on a 32-bit PCI bus, but they, like, instead of bridging PCI to VLB, um, or instead of bridging VLB to PCI, rather, they did it the other way around. So, like, the Pentium VLB motherboards are running native VLB with, like, PCI bridges, and that just murders performance on PCI and performance in general. And, like, if you were to try to emulate, like, VLB on a 486, I have a feeling you would probably run afoul in a similar way, um, just because the implementation is not very sophisticated. And like you said, it's dumb. It's, it's you know, it's a brilliant design, but, like, it is, it there is, there's, like, literally minimal glue logic holding it together, so you have to kind of figure it out on your own and yeah i was talking about a software emulator called pcmu that yeah okay so we are talking about the same thing yeah yeah then i then i just don't understand and for that i'm sorry no 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 worries what what i was trying to suggest i guess um a better way of putting it is i feel like if they were to try to do it it would probably be very hamstrung together and like murder any potential performance before it was even there Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it would because be... Because it would have a, a, a larger overhead than just emulating a basic 486. Exactly. It would be it. the same problem they ran into in hardware, where they couldn't figure out how to make it work with faster systems, and the overhead was so bad that there was no memory performance, there was no bus access performance. And I just, I think PCM is a brilliant piece of software, and... Um, it would be really cool to have, like, a VLB video card, like, being emulated alongside, like, I don't know, Voodoo 2 SLI or something stupid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and you know, hey, it would work. But like, I, I I just don't think it would be that easy to put together, unfortunately. PCI is just a much better bus. After watching uh, your um, Windows XP on a 486 video, I kind of want to attempt doing that in PCM. Yeah. You know, that that's one of these things I had a fascination with a long time ago. And I I got some pushback because, to tell you the truth, one of the things I did know going into it, but I didn't want to, like, let go of, is you can't technically boot Windows XP itself on a 486 because the way the kernel is designed, there's issues. And it requires compare and exchange 8-bit instructions, which the 486 lacks. But a Pentium Overdrive is a Pentium, and it can do it. And... I wanted to try to get it running on like a VLB system because, I mean, to me, a VLB motherboard with a Pentium overdrive is still basically a 486. You know, it's 32-bit everything. It's it's limited to 32-bit memory access. It's 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 not a Pentium. I mean, it's, it's not that sophisticated. And it's a 486 chipset. So the only but way to... you get to... the instruction set. Yeah, exactly. And you know what's weird is when I was doing research, I thought the Cyrix 5x86 would be able to do it because that's actually just a cut down 6x86. So it is a Pentium class CPU, but it can't because it, for some reason it doesn't have that instruction. And in fact, neither does the original 6x86. So that's kind of odd. But um, I do think that it's possible from what I understand to boot certain versions of Whistler, the the um, beta. Yeah, yeah the beta code name yeah xp so hmm. that would be cool um but that's probably like closer to putting 2000 on a 46 right hmm. which i guess is doable right yeah. yeah yeah 
Um, I think Phil has a video on that. Um, it's it's yeah. definitely not fast. You would need you would need a uh, an AM five X eighty six at like one sixty to get it to be decent. Okay. What's your next question? Um. Yeah, we should. Uh, <laughs> um. All right, let's uh, let's switch to a little bit of a lighter topic. I know we've been getting really deep in the um, yeah, we've been getting into the into the weeds of this whole thing. Um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's ask. Uh, how about your favorite tech movie? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> okay. Uh, any reason why? Is there any, a story behind that? Um, I remember the first time I saw it was with my grandpa on a bootleg copy he had on 8mm tape. Oh, neat. 8mm so, tape. Huh. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's yours, Chris? I don't think I've ever asked that. Hmm. I don't think I thought about it. <laughs> um, I already mentioned mine. I mean, Pirates of Silicon Valley is just such an easy go-to. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is an easy go-to. You know how many times I watched that movie with commercials? <laughs> yeah, because uh, cause I actually taped it when it came on the first time ever on TNT. Wow. Yeah. With commercials and everything, and I just wore that tape out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, no? No favorite tech movie? No Ashton Kutcher's... Steve Jobs or anything like that. <laughs> when you say tech movie, are we talking fictional tech or? Um... I don't know, man. I mean, I guess you could say the Terminator, which I really enjoy, but well, yeah, <laughs> not 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 fictional. You said two thousand one Space Odyssey, so yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. We'll, um, we'll cheat it. So now we're gonna sorry go that way. <laughs> I, I, Star Wars, <laughs> Tron, oh. Tron, Tron. Oh yeah, Tron is such a good movie. Mm. I have a Tron poster in my bedroom, so I, I guess I have to, nice. I have to amend that answer. <laughs> so, 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 will we we want to get a Tron um, online game going? Uh, Tron two point oh. Yeah. Know if you ever played it? Uh, made by what is it like Monolith Software or whatever, using their Lithware engine, whatever that was. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so we wanted to get the Chris has never played it. Um, I played it back then. I love that game. It was actually one of the reasons why I traded this guy, which actually you knew Chris in, in school. Uh, I forgot his name though, but, uh, but we, we knew him in, in, uh, in one of our classes that we had together. Um, I traded a GeForce 4 TI 4200, something like that, for an ATI 9700 Pro. And I don't know, but my ATI 9700 Pro was way better at, uh, at Tron. And, um, and, and then Doom 3 and all that stuff. So, oh, yeah. and, and then that guy wanted his card back. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I told him that it was actually an ATI, cause he didn't know it was an ATI Radeon Pro. He thought it was a, a 9700 Pro. He thought it was just like a regular, either a regular 9700 or maybe even a 9600. And he's like, yeah, man, I'll trade you your GeForce 4 TI, whatever that was, 42 or 4400 for mine. And then I found out that it's a 9700 Pro and, <laughs> uh, I know Nathan did a whole thing about it on his channel. Um, I love that card. I still have it. It's on my Pentium Three right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah, that that card. Um, yeah. Anyway, so long story short, we're gonna be playing Tron. You're welcome to join it. Well, uh, thank join you. our Tron server. <laughs> I'm here for this. Awesome. I can't wait to try it out for the first time. So so the bad thing is, well, you're gonna have to um, <clears throat> somehow get a G5 or a G4. <clears throat> 
<laughs> that will be uh, that that'll be interesting. I'll have to. Well, good thing I got a bunch of them. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, um, so I guess favorite tech movie Tron, two thousand one, and Pirates of Silicon Valley. Did you guys know I've never seen the classic movie computer movie called Sne- Sneakers? Hmm. With uh, Dan Aykroyd and all that, I've never seen that. No, I. I should watch that. I've definitely seen parts of it. I I only like vaguely remember that movie. Is it any good? I mean, what's what you remember anyway? I think so. I heard it's a classic. Yeah, classic computer movie. I remember liking it. I mean, I all I know is it, it's better than Hackers. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh man, Hackers. You don't like those windows flying at you? Hey, whoa, watch out for that window. <laughs> Hackers is I- iconic, but it's not very good. <laughs> the I bad knew. guy had like a trench coat and uh, and the and, um, the skateboard. Yeah. Remember that? His password was all lowercase God or was it uppercase? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> He's in. He's got root access. Whoa. <laughs> Everything oh, is man. the Matrix when you're like in that era. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, okay. Well, that was that question. <laughs> um, what is your, what would you say is the prized jewel of, of your collection? And I'm going to guess that it's that VLB, um... Mach 64? Yeah. Yeah, that that would be it for now, I'd say. Either that or the, the, the blue lightning. If I, your house burnt down, which one would you grab right before? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's actually burning... You have one thing that you could reach for. What would it be? A fire extinguisher. No. Um, <laughs> honestly, I probably just grabbed a box because it's like literally just a small little box. <laughs> just run out <laughs> and be like, hey, I got something. Ooh, something. <laughs> um, what is the blue lighting again? It's a processor, right? Yeah. It's, it's an it, IBM, right? Yeah. It's it's an IBM uh, clock triple 386. That, that can do 486 instructions. It's 32-bit and everything. Oh, neat. Um, at 75 megahertz, it's a little faster than a DX266, but it sucks Dude, at floating point. Yeah. Well, what if you paired it with a 387? Yeah. The 387 is just it's slow, and the problem is, too... Oh, man. Um, there are clock double 387s, but they are, like, impossible to find, and... Uh, the Blue Lightning was the first chip that could do 100 megahertz, I believe. So 100 megahertz on a 386 chip, right? With yep. a 40 megahertz, um, uh, 40 megahertz uh, bus. 33, right? 33 times three. Can you? Oh, that's even better. Um, and if you were to find that clock double 387, could you play Quake? Maybe at five FPS. Maybe. <laughs> How do we hack Windows XP onto this thing? Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So, the first thing I know we how. do is uh, <laughs> crack open a 24-pack of whatever the cheapest beer is. <laughs> and then we have next to it the cheapest whiskey because we're going to need it for the pain. <laughs> so, so, so you know, Will, you're, you're talking to the guy that's trying to reverse engineer a DOS box to get some certain instructions in. Uh, it's the dynamic <laughs> recompiler to work in this... GUI interface that just happens to have DOSBox built into it called Boxer. Yeah. And so, Chris is trying to figure this thing out. He's got Xcode open. So, you know what, Chris? Your next challenge should be... No. Yep. No. Hey, hang on. I got it. You got you to gotta crack open the Windows XP kernel and remove 
that that single line that probably calls out for those instructions, <laughs> package it all together, and have Will install it. <laughs> taking patches for taking patches somebody else wrote for a code base into a slightly older and also slightly modified version of the same code base is a lot easier than hey it might just re- be reverse engineering the windows xp kernel it might just be that microsoft just wanted you to buy a pentium real bad so all you have to do is just mark out that line you know that requirement <laughs> got to got to reimplement those instructions in software somehow i mean you know when you consider the fact that you can run windows me on a 386 it makes you wonder yeah not Man. that you want to do that but Actually, the source code leaked for Windows XP, so I'm not saying you should do this, Chris, but you should totally do but this. it's doable. <laughs> it's that, you know what, it probably even has a comment right there, remove me to use on Will's 486. <laughs> <laughs> and then right next to that comment says, nobody will ever find this shit. <laughs> right below it is the uh, remove this to enable VLB video card usage. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. well... What would it even take to get a working dev environment for uh, Windows XP to build from a from leaked source code? Dude. Oof. Wow. I don't know. That'd be really cool, actually. Like, and, you know how many dependencies in it? Wow. Oh, wow. Man. And they probably weren't building Windows XP on Windows XP because they had to make Windows XP first. They were probably doing it on Windows 2000 or... Yeah. Well, yeah, what but, would even the build kit be for that? But, I mean, you know, that's the same on anything. What do you... You start out with probably a C compiler. They were building it on BSD and they just didn't tell anyone. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, I went to, uh, did you, did you have the same C programming or intro to programming Dr. Lamar or whatever her name is? What was, uh, did we take that class? Mine was in community college. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I took mine. Come to the mic here. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it sounds good now. Um, yeah, so so our, our intro, I know we're totally going off on a tangent here, but uh, <laughs> real quick, uh, so our intro to, to computer programming actually had Pascal in it for some reason, even though Pascal was already kind of going out. Um, I don't know, go <laughs> figure. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I had to take, uh, yeah, I had to take intro to programming uh, with, what is it, Turbo Pascal by Borland. Anyway, okay, uh, um, whatever, that was that, was that weird tangent. Um, I think I have one more question. Um, what was the machine that you most remember wanting and lusting after when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's that's like kind of easy and kind of hard. Um, because I always, always, always wanted as a kid... I'm I'm sure you guys remember, but like for those who are listening to this, like does everyone remember the uh, the like early 2000s, like from probably 2000 to 2004 design that Alienware used for their gaming computers, where it looked basically like a a it wasn't a beige box, but it it had that same uh, sort of vibe, and it was like all hot rod. Like the are you talking about the, like the blue yeah. ones with the uh, fins on the side yes. and the, the sort of eye looking stuff in the front? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know those. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. I think they built Athlon 64 systems uh, yep. that look like that. Yeah. I I wanted they had laptops too. Yep. I wanted the first gen of that, which I pretty sure 
I'm pretty sure they had one with like a Thunderbird in it or something like that. I, I hmm. only vaguely remember because I used to literally sit there and just like read PC Gamer and, you know, whatnot and PC Mag and uh, now I'm sad and, you know, uh, Maximum PC and all that stuff when it was like actually still being published. But um, I remember seeing like ads for these things and being like, oh, I got to have this. And like, you know, these ads are like page to page. The next page is like a Voodoo 2 SLI and it's like the 3D effects face. And I'm just like, all right, I got to have that. And then like the page after <laughs> that's like, you know, like AMD's newest ad about like, oh, these professors, you know, these processors beat the hell out of Intel's. And I'm like, yep, got to have that. And, you know, <laughs> you're like, ah, yes, this RAM is like capable of running at an astounding 150 megahertz. And I'm like, ooh, ooh. you know, you call me sold and you just keep going through like the pages and you like see the... You know, you like see the Alienware thing and you're like, all right, so I'm going to get this. I'm going to upgrade this part. I'm going to put this in it. I'm going to get this sound card because this looks kick ass. And you're like, <laughs> you're putting it together in your head as you're like going through all the ads. And um, I always wanted one. And I always actually like the laptops too. But, you know, I think, I think that that probably was just because I fell victim to the advertising at the time. It's so, <laughs> it's so cool. Man, the, that, uh, that edgy advertisement that they had back then was uh, was no joke. Um, yeah, I uh, so so you know that uh, interesting that you mentioned that because that's probably like a ten thousand dollar machine back then. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I guess you could build it now, Will, <laughs> if you wanted to. <laughs> now I want to go onto archive.org's magazine section, find Maximum PC, and find some of those ads. So there was a uh, um, a, a magazine that. That they used to make back then, um, before PC, Maximum PC, um, called, uh, PC Accelerator. And I remember the last issue and it, it was, it was, it was like all black and it said it's all over. Oh, and geez. I think they were talking about, you know, like the greatest game of the last millennium, you know, and it turned out to be Half-Life 1. Really? Yeah. Says, yeah. Yeah. Half-Life 1. Uh, that was like, you know, and then, and then afterwards, like PC, uh, Maximum PC gave Half-Life 2, like some crazy score as well, like 10 out of 10 or something. Like, yeah. Like, game is perfection or something, but yeah, Half-Life 1. So yeah, that's uh that was interesting. I, I used to get these g- big catalogs back in the nineties. Uh, my dad would subscribe to them called computer shopper. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. There's big thick catalogs and, uh, you can just order parts, mm-hmm. uh, on the phone and stuff. Uh, Anyway, uh, they had an ad there that was for an Alpha chip. Now, I've never owned an Alpha. Yeah, I know you, you can run Windows NT on Alpha. You can run Windows. Uh, hell, you could probably run OS 2 on Alpha, I guess. Um, anyway, so, yeah, the advertisement was, why are you stuck at 300 megahertz when we have the Alpha chip at 500 megahertz? And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Like, like, we were at 300 megahertz and thought that was... That was it. That was that was the fastest you can go. And Alpha already had their chips at five hundred, yep. running at five hundred megahertz. So yeah, I mean the, those those advertisements, man, back then they they were no joke. Um, I I had no idea that they had processors running at five hundred megahertz back then. I thought that was crazy talk. You but. know, the one that I remember shaking me to the core when I was younger and just first getting into this is like in what was it like April or May of 1999, the maximum PC uh, cover where it's like the slot one or slot a Athlon, like tilted sideways. And it's like AMD has won the gigahertz race. And they were announcing the one gigahertz Athlon. I was like, Holy cow. And it still blows my mind to these days. Like 
look, I built a Pentium 3 out of convenience because Athlon boards are a pain to get and they all have capacitor plague. But like, man, those Athlons, the IPC on them back then and now is nuts mm-hmm. by comparison to Intel's mm-hmm. parts. It took the, the freaking Twalitons to catch up, which, I mean, those are like regarded as the best Pentium 3 and whatever. But like, man, I remember just reading those those ads, seeing those those magazines and going like, AMD is like kicking some serious ass. And, you know, it kind of feels that way again today, I guess. But it does. It does. A little different. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we were, so we were talking a little bit, we were talking a few days before the show and I had asked you, uh, if you had ever built or if you would be able to build a, one of those slot, what is it? Slot A? Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah, the, the early Thunderbirds, the, you know, that were slotted. Um, but I guess they're crazy expensive now to, to find. Yeah. Have you done, have you done anything with, uh, with OS2? Um, or I, OS2 Warp? I, I have, I have one video with OS2 Warp and I put it on the, the Blue Lightning. And, oh, cool. um, I figured IBM board, IBM OS, like perfect pair. And, um, it was slow, but it, it was very functional. Um, it was kind of wild trying out the unreleased, like, hacked beta of doom for os2 um that was fun but i actually think as far as like usable os's goes os2 is vastly superior to anything of the era from any of the like more traditional pc players aka microsoft um i do think that it reminds me a lot more of like osx or like something way more modern because it's so sleek um, and so intuitive, but I don't know. I mean, I, I never really messed with like BOS, but I, I always figured like, um, that would be like a cool comparison, like seeing BOS and like, uh, OS two in the same page. Cause they both have that same, like still super modern design and like, man, there's, I, yeah, there, there's always haiku. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, we made a whole episode on it, um, on haiku. Yeah. And definitely if you, if you should try it. Definitely, you should definitely try it. Um, that that OS, it that that, that actually OS yeah. amazed me. Um, sorry, we we hijacked the hell out of no that no, no 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 no. <laughs> um, I'm I'm here to learn. I, I want to try this um, out. <laughs> agreed about OS two. Uh, yes. It is slick. I was especially amazed to see just the full TCP stack built in, FTP mm-hmm. server mm-hmm. already built in, stuff like that, um, and just how stable it is. Um, if you have any fascination with BOS and if you haven't tried it, Haiku is amazing. It is mm-hmm. still being actively developed today. Yep. Um, Fast. And they have integrated so much into it. So it's yeah. a, a full re-implementation of um, BOS. It is binary compatible with... Um, BOS software mm-hmm. uh, hmm. runs on x86 and maybe one or two other architectures, but they also have built in their own package the package manager. manager the, the store, it's um, like an app store. Sick. They have yeah. you have you have fully functional Python, so anything Python can do. You have like Python three seven yeah. running in there. Yeah, isn't that nuts? Holy That's cow. like the latest. I, I was using the AWS CLI on BOS. Um, Wild. Uh, but the only downside is uh, there's just no good web browser for it. Like the best mm. we got was Otter Browser, and it was yeah. painful. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, that was back. That was a little while ago. Maybe who knows? Maybe somebody ported. But it is WebKit based. Ten four Fox. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is a WebKit based, so WebKit's there's room solid. for it to grow. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's it's really really neat. Um, the multimedia 
part was really cool. Watching videos, different video streams and everything on that, dragging wi- uh, windows around. It felt modern and it fizz very fast. Dumb question. Is it 686 compatible? Like, Yeah, yeah. Could I just throw it on my like dual Pentium Pro system? At the very least, you can throw it on VirtualBox. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I had it running... F- um, uh, the last hardware I, I, that I had it running on that, that was fully supported was um, the EPC 701, the first netbook. Wi-Fi mm-hmm. was supported. Um, the screen resolution was. I was doing everything it could do on it, and that was a long time ago. Now it's. I, I, I think they're on beta three now. Back then it was alpha something. Yeah. Um, but it's come so far. Yeah. And that EPC ran with like an atom, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like an Intel atom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, maybe you, you could try it. Um, 686 Pentium Pros, right? Dual Pentium Pros? What are yeah. they running at? 100 megahertz or whatever? 200. Uh, 200 megahertz? Yeah. Maybe. I'd, I'd be um, curious. Yeah, just check the... Yeah. That would be really cool. You do have a on. lot of hardware you could uh, try it on to see... Um, yeah. What yeah. could... what a um, If you could make a functional build out of it. Because getting it running outside of a VM, that's... That's always been my dream. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it sounds like it's taking, you know, like the, the, the haiku route of things is like the right way. And React OS has just been stagnating for what? Yeah. 15 oh, years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just. Um, I'd rather run the, uh, that other, what's that Linux build? That's um, people run whenever they want to move away from Windows, but it's like the first step. Zorin. Uh, Zorin. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people running Zorin. It looks like the Windows UI and everything. Now you can put the thing in the center now. The icons and just like Windows 11 or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Windows yeah, 11. Yeah, people are running the Zorin. Um, I don't know. I think I've ran out of questions. I'm hungry. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Want to get those uh, chicken wings at Publix? <laughs> That's the move. The deli's closed. But... Yep. Um, Damn, I miss the... Publix. You have no idea, man. You have no idea how much I... I miss Publix. Oh, not having one. I, I, I believe me. I, I remember when I moved to California. I asked my aunt and uncle, "Where's the Publix?" They're like, "You got Safeway," and I'm like, "Oh no, oh no." <laughs> and then it was like, "What else is there?" And they're like, "Trader Joe's," and I'm like, "All right, I, I can survive, but oh no." <laughs> <laughs> I need my chicken wings. Where do we get my chicken wings? <laughs> Would you get a, a Publix chicken tender sub? You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I think we've uh, we've exhausted this uh, episode. Yeah, <laughs> now that we're talking about uh, food. Um, <laughs> I've also been up since five a.m. So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, did have that flight and everything. Cool. Well, hey, Will, it's been great hanging out. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, if if you ever want to jump, uh, c- come back to the show, uh, let us know. We'll have you as a guest star again. Sure. Uh, it's always fun to to talk to you. Um, you know about yeah. all the stuff. It was uh, great to meet you. Um, love your work. Love your content. Um, feel free to put any of this on YouTube if you want to. Sure. Uh, honestly, what I'll probably end up doing is I'll let you guys just post it as usual and I'll just link to it because, you know, this Google. is your guys' content and I want you guys to get the credit for it because, yeah. Oh, come on. It's all our content. Yeah. Um, but So, by the way, before we go and uh, and just to let listeners know, uh, our listeners know where where you, we could reach you, Will, or where people can can watch oh, your yeah. channel. Retro Tech Bites, mm-hmm. yeah, on the YouTube, on the YouTube's. Yeah, I got a Twitter too, and then uh, Retro Tech Bites at gmail.com Also, I 
I check it pretty actively and surprisingly I've gotten questions and that's how you guys reached out. So, you know, thanks again for reaching out and it's been a pleasure and Chris, it was great to finally meet you and, you know, you're it's always great to talk again and, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys and, you know, I got to say like, Hey, I learned a lot tonight too. And I really appreciate like letting you guys, you know, let me share and babble and uh, just kind of, I don't know, say my piece about, random antiquated obscure hardware that <laughs> you know can do what like by comparison to today's stuff can move a grain of sand uh, a mile and you know the time it takes a, a 5950x to create the grain of sand from nothing <laughs> so yep cool all right well thank you very much will uh, i forgot one thing the part that we always forget Oh, of course. Um, that's, if, that's why nobody can find us. For <laughs> any of our three listeners, uh, if you want to reach us, uh, forkbombpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter handle at forkbombpodcast. Facebook. Facebook.com slash forkbombpodcast. I, I'm even just completely off of Facebook. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> um, Bomb Podcast. I, I admin that. Uh, we have a stagnating YouTube channel that we just don't upload to anymore. And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, Twitter? Oh, and um, website forkbomb at podbean.com. And I did say Twitter at Forkbomb Podcast. Ah, okay, good. Great. Well, as usual, good night, Chris. Good night. I'll, um, I mean, I'm right here. No eye contact after this, so. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Will. Good night, guys. (laughs) Thanks again. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.